Street artist Finch sits down with us in the studio today. He's known for the Honey Bears. He has many other series all over the city. He believes art is for everyone. He's clever, and you will love this listen. Oh, oh my gosh. Thank you, Finch, for coming into the studio here on Sacramento Street. We've got to name this place, actually. But okay, I'm going to ask you beginning questions where you began later. But I'm curious about a, a year ago, I was researching you, and you had this article in the 7x7. And like 24 of your friends took 450 pieces of your iconic uh, honey bears, and you mm-hmm. put it all over the city. And tell us about why you did that, and what was the outcome a year later? Yeah, so I was... Um so I have an uh, so I hired an art lawyer to yeah. tell me what crimes I was committing and uh-huh. what the punishments might be, and he was giving me a report on the various you know laws in San Francisco and in California and mm-hmm. the U.S. And I ended up reading through a lot of the Public Works Code, kind of seeing what was what. And what I yeah. found was that there was an exception for putting up signage. So you might have a sign in your front lawn mm-hmm. um, for candidate for office, or you might have a sign posted on a pole for like a dog walker service or yoga classes. Yeah. And the law is very particular. It's, you know, there's 12 rules you need to follow. It must be oh, less than 12 inches tall. It can be no further than 11 feet off the ground to the highest edge. It must conform to the shape of the pole, be attached with string twine or non-metallic banding material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, only one sign you per pole, clearly posted legible yeah. the embodiment in the corner. And I was like, huh, I see this like little gap in the law where like I can legally put things up on public property. And I'm just going to take this gap and I'm going to shove myself through that to an absolutely absurd degree. Yeah. And so part of it was trying to like be like, hey, I have this idea. Other people should recognize this idea, could use it for themselves. Um, and then part of it also was just try to create some amount of spectacle. Um, and so, yeah, I had printed and die cut about 400 honey bears um, onto like a waterproof paper, complied with all the rules, and then sent everybody out with a bunch of zip ties, which um, conforms with the law. Yeah. And so we plastered them all up. And part of the point, you know, I was trying to like tie some sort of a social, social message into it. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, there's always like the spectacle, but... Kind of the best art is if you like scratch the surface, you can get down maybe one level deeper with something that's more interesting. And so I had also discovered that the Public Works Code, the definition of um, graffiti is wider than the California's definition of graffiti. So graffiti is any mark, etch, inscription. Uh There's like 20 words that is, you know, painted, scribed, and then in San Francisco, it says affixed or applied. Right. And what that does is that that all of a sudden covers uh, wheat paste and stickers, which are two very low damage forms of street art that are done all over the world. So wheat paste is basically you print out your art on paper and use like a wallpaper paste to put it up yeah. outside. And a sticker obviously it's everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, and so this is a huge in Europe, um, huge in Los Angeles or in New York. And we have it as an elevated crime. It's a misdemeanor instead of an infraction. Right. So that's like a real crime instead of like a parking ticket. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was um, la- just lame. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so I then turned the like, I was like, if I can legally do this sign thing, yeah. um, but I can't put a little tiny foreign sticker on a pole, I just want to kind of show the absurdity of the law. Yes. Um, was it worth 450 of them? Was that effective? Yeah. I mean, it got people's attention. Mm-hmm. The downside of it, I would say, is that people who like me took them for themselves and people who didn't like me um, tore them down and threw them away. Uh-huh. Um, and so I thought they would last for the, you know, I was allowed to have, I think it's 70 days. Um, and so I had a whole like takedown plan uh-huh. scheduled. 
And I know it wasn't the city that did it because I'd done some work with the East Cut, which is the community benefit district that controls what was Rincon Hill and part of Soma. Uh-huh. And so I gave them the heads up being like, hey, like your street team cannot take these down. It's illegal for you to take them down. Only I am legally allowed to take down a sign that I posted. Interesting. Um, and so I also know- Also part of the wedge you were putting- Yeah, the wedge, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's legal. So anyway, they made it up for like four days or something for- Really? P- people took They're them. They were like literally all, all down. All gone, yeah. Um, and so that was a little disappointing because I wanted my 70 days, uh-huh. um, you know, my legally prescribed 70 days. But um, it was so good. Expir- you could have an expiration date on the next one, like at the very yeah. bottom of it. So Please do not remove until. I had, yeah, I was like. November 21st. I had some text that said this is legally posted under. Oh, really? Yeah, Public on, Works Code, on, Article 3.1, Section word? 158 on the left. And then I had the posting date. By law, you have to have the posting date in the bottom right hand corner. Oh, wow. Um, and so I, you know, I was complying. So the. <laughs> Um, I've been intending to get back to doing more of this because it's fun, frankly. Yeah. Um, I did end up doing another project. Like one of the ramifications is I ended up working with the um, Presidio, I think it's Presidio Hill School, um, yeah. which is probably not too far from here. Mm. And I met up with the fifth grade class and they all drew. My idea was like, just draw, draw anything you want to draw. And then we'll like tape them up to poles. Mm-hmm. And then they had the idea like, hey, why don't you come in with like a honey bear template mm. and then we can like decorate them. And uh-huh. so it's kind of like dressing up your... Barbie or Ken doll or something. Yeah. So I had all these blank, either a bear that was bald or a bear that had a cap on or just the outlines of a bear so they could color it in. And they made a whole bunch of them and they posted them all over Clement Street. Yeah. And so I thought that was cool because I was trying to, you know, as a kid, even frankly as an adult, you don't necessarily have an outlet for your art. A lot of people, some people paint recreationally, but you don't necessarily have, show a, them. Yeah, have an art yeah. gallery to show you or mm-hmm. a venue in which you can get your art to the world. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, what's nice about street art is that it empowers you. You, know, you have to choose yourself. And if you're willing to be like, okay, cool, I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. then you can you, do it. You can do it. Right? And, let, and be judged. And, and be let judged. the public judge. And let the public, yeah. Um, actually, one of the things that's beautiful about street art is that it's very sink or swim. Right, like if people don't like it, they will tell you. Uh-huh. If they like it, then they will support you. And then that's kind of the path I took to being a full-time artist was just doing a lot of stuff outside. And then people were like, "Cool, I, I like this." And yeah. then, you know, pieces can start to fall from there. So I wanted to kind of give that feeling to someone in the fifth grade. Um, and so that was a successful. So this this seems like quite a successful um, um, movement or adventure. And you you were even trying to work with. The board of uh, supervisors, right? Yeah. So any movement on that? Are not really. Ready? Yeah, I made the petition. Um, you know, I have no no feedback has come back from supervisors to me. Yeah. So if someone read it, I mean, realistically, I never expected anything to happen. Uh, Frankly, there's bigger issues in San Francisco than our inability to post up stickers. <laughs> um, it is a bummer. You hear a lot of people talk about SF in like the '90s and the crazy amount of posters that were on all these polls. Uh-huh. So it used to be. Maybe. You know, what happens a lot of times when you cut way back, say, on graffiti, One part, yeah. you also cut out street art, yeah. right? So you have this, you know, desire to clean up some neighborhood, mm-hmm. and then you also manage to squash some amount of culture. Right. What's the balance of the weird stuff that you don't want and the cool stuff that you do want? Like, how do you keep one without the other? Obviously, it's very tricky. Um, but anyway, we have this sign law. So if you're listening to this and you want to express yourself... Um, Finch.com slash sign has all the rules. Oh, good. You can conform with all the rules. It's pretty easy. You just put it, it on a sheet of paper. Finch.com, F-N-N-C-H. Yes. Dot com. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. I joke that I'm too poor to buy a vowel. <laughs> so what is the story behind the bears? 
So they, really, they just make me happy. Yeah. And I was doing them as street art, which if I can give a brief definition. So to me, um, it's a two by two. So you've got art and not art, and you have commissioned and uncommissioned. So to me, commissioned art, oh, sorry, public art is a mural. Uncommissioned public art is street art. Uh-huh. Uncommissioned not art is graffiti. And commissioned not art is like advertisement. And I'm going to wow, define okay, art. Good. There we go. That's my definition. People can argue about it. Yeah, I'm going to define art. I'm following you. I'm defining art as anything you think is art. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a very super post Duchamp view of this. If you yeah. think that's what you're doing, that's what you're doing. Yes. So I would end up lumping some people that think they're doing graffiti in as street artists um, because they're really trying to stylize their letters. But most people who do graffiti, if you ask them about it, they would not tell you they're doing art. I don't think they're doing art. No one thinks they're doing art. So let's just, we're fine. <laughs> no argument there. Anyway. Um, I actually lost where I was getting into this. The bears. You yes, the, the bears. bears. So thank you. So I'm going out and I'm painting at 2 in the morning or 4 in the morning and I'm putting stuff up on public property. Um, a lot of mailboxes. And the idea I had was to create cognitive dissonance where you know that the thing is illegal and is, say, bad or wrong. I'm doing air quotes. You can't really hear that. Um, air quote bad. Um, but you like it and therefore you want it to stay. And then in trying to resolve this cognitive dissonance, you have to come up with some conclusion, like maybe the Postal Service should have a mural program, or maybe people shouldn't paint over it, or maybe there is a difference between graffiti and street art. One of these things exists. Or maybe I should commission a mural to be in my house. Like all these things are potential resolutions. Uh-huh. And so I was exposed to this idea from Banksy. You know, I was raised in an idea you know, where all things done illegal were bad. You know, like a good, you know, American. Yeah, it's, a, it's very cut and dry. Yeah. And then um, certainly by college, you know, the idea that all laws are correct, you know, was becoming... Sure dissipate. Yeah. A few cracks in it. A few cracks in it. Yeah, yeah. And then at some point, I'm like, it's, it's clearly enriching to the community to have some of this legal art. Mm-hmm. Um, it's clearly um, negative to have some of the things that are being done illegally. I can tell the difference between these two. That's interesting. It's hard to write a law where you're like, the, the good thing should stay and the bad thing should go. Um, obviously, that's complicated, but subjective. Yeah. But what's nice about the honey bear is that uh, it's really happy and yes. people like it. So if I'm trying to create that cognitive dissonance, this is like a tool where, yeah. like, if the medium is controversial, then the message should be non-controversial. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it, and yeah, I mean, it, it it's it's also that a lot of people think that graffiti is gang related, and there are graffiti crews, the group of people that hang out together and watch out for each other's backs. Uh-huh. But these are typically like age 12 to 16 year olds going out and having a good time um, on bicycles, right? This is not like hard hitting. There are actual, there, there's gang graffiti, but in the mission, there's not really. Uh-huh. And this is a very widespread misconception. Like there is no chance that there's a honey bear gang. Like it's not, <laughs> you know, the sharks and the jets out, you know, if they bring zip are you guns, the leader of the we honey bring, bear gang? exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we're all out there having like dance-offs. Did someone frisk you on the way in? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that, that, the other thing too is being like, look, this is so innocent and so happy mm. that we can get past this. Is it gang-related? Is it graffiti? And into how should we use this space? Yeah, um, we actually did a house. We designed a house or did some work on it. That there was a someone like Stanion that has mm-hmm. one of your your mural pieces. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that one. Is it is it commissioned? Did you have mm-hmm. to get a commission or the homeowner? Uh, yep. Supplies. How did that work, how so work out? Basically, everything I do on private property is done with permission of the owner. Uh-huh. Um, usually, I'm commissioned to do it. Um, 
So in that case, the owners just reach out to me and they're like, hey, you want to paint a mare in the front of the house? And I was like, yes, I do. Like, <laughs> it's on Stanyon. It's a great thoroughfare. Yeah. Um, you know, and I w- so I said yes, and then I painted it. It's been there now oh, like four years probably. So it's one of my longer running pieces. Pieces in public seem like they should last forever, and then they don't for various reasons. Uh-huh. But I've been really happy about it, and hopefully it makes the tra- – I know the house is up for sale now, so I'm hoping the piece makes the transition and the new owners yeah. like it and allow it to stay. That would be we'll great. See. Yeah. I mean, how many do you think are around that are still active or just? Um, I'd say like 30 to 50 pieces around the city, maybe of some scale. And we also have the LaCroix yeah. series. What's, tell us about that one. So that was sort of a joke. I thought it was funny. So to me, like I call what I do contemporary pop art, uh-huh. um, which is specific enough to give you some vague idea of what I do, but uh-huh. broad enough that I can kind of do whatever I want. Um, and so I mean, to me, pop art to me is when an artist points their finger at an object and says, look at this as art. Mm-hmm. So you see it's probably more clearly in your business, but someone could easily paint a painting of one of the chairs that you place in a house, right? Or a couch or a light fixture. These things are all actually functional sculpture to mm-hmm. some degree. Mm-hmm. But even things that weren't intended that way, like the microphone I'm talking into or this glass, I feel there was a lot of love and care put into all parts of this. And it just takes an artist to point the finger at it. And then you're like, oh, that's beautiful. Wow, it's actually beautiful. That's interesting, yeah. And somebody cared for me yeah. in whatever country did this, right? Yeah. And so I like that. LaCroix, you know, I did that series 2016, and it was maybe, you know, a little before peak LaCroix. Uh-huh. And I did it, I organized a show around it in kind of an underground art space in the mission, and it just went viral. So it started off with someone's Facebook page, went to Eater SF, went to the Chronicle, then ended up in the Washington Post, Vice, Food Network Magazine. And I was so cool. I mean, I just kind of like put my finger on the cultural zeitgeist and people enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of painted some organs of LaCroix. And, you know, it's not like a core part of my practice, but mm-hmm. they are beautiful cans in their own way. I mean, they're mm-hmm. sort of they're sort of ugly, mm-hmm. but that's sort of the charm, sort of like a hipster charm. So I have a question then, um, and maybe many of the listeners do too. I mean, this is fascinating. I love the, the work you're doing, and it's interesting, and, it, and people recognize it. Um, you know, you're, you're a full-time artist. This is what mm-hmm. you do. So is it the commissions, the kind of the job? Do, do one, does one lead to the other, and you must constantly reinvent yourself in order to be commissioned for new things? I mean, how's that kind of business side of it work? Yeah, so I'm going to break this down into two parts. I'm going to get the easy one first, which is that, the market for art does not reward you for being really creative. It rewards you for repetition. Uh-huh. So think, think about it like pop music. Uh-huh. You, I call it the adjacent familiar. You want something that's oh, yeah. a little bit different. Totally. But if it's too far different, then you lose people. I tell the team this all the time. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> this resonates. Go on. Yeah. So <laughs> when you look at the most famous artists in the world, you know, someone like a Jeff Koons has his inflatable series. Yeah. You know, he has his whatever, you know, like Damien Hurst has his spot series and he has his medicine cabinet series and he, what, whatever. He has some set of things. And it's a privilege for being an artist who is worth hundreds of millions of dollars that you can have like eight different series going. Mm-hmm. Right. But most artists, you know, are doing one thing. You're like, oh, I recognize that work because that recognition is what gives the brand value to the art. Yeah. And a lot of the, in the value of art is is brand driven, and so you want you want someone to see it and be like, "That's a Finch," yeah. right? And so I'm hoping the the I think of there's like different levels of branding. 
you can brand like the image itself where, you know, okay, I paint just honey bears. Um, then you can brand the style. So the hope is when someone sees a Finch can of LaCroix or a Finch lips, they recognize some style that continues. Mm-hmm. So an artist like Keith Haring was genius at this. You know Keith Haring instantly, but he's painting many things, right? Most of them are babies or penises, but you know, there's a, anything he paints, you know instantly what it is. And then the highest level of branding is just the name. Yeah. It's Damien Hirst, it's Keith Haring, it's Jeff Koons, whatever. And they can just do anything and then it just sells, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's the, I don't have to constantly, like I'm trying to push all the time with uh-huh. new innovations, but it's actually not people's requests that are driving that, right? right? It's me being like, okay, I don't want to just repeat the same thing over and over again. I need to find the next familiar that's, you know, nearby adjacent that I think is interesting and compelling. Um, and either that's in the medium I'm working in or the imagery that I'm painting or whatever. Where did this theory come up with the medium, the, what did you call it, medium adjacent? Uh, adjacent familiar. Adjacent familiar. This is just me trying to figure out, like, I see things that are working and I see art in the world and I'm just trying to come up with some model in my head. So as far as the business side of art, this, to me, I got into doing the street art not because I wanted to be an artist. And even years into it, I didn't think this was even a remote possibility. The cost of living in San Francisco is quite high and art isn't as cheap to produce, say, a software. Once you have one piece of software, you can just duplicate it a bajillion times. Mm -hmm. But there's a real cost to every painting that I do. And there's also all these logistics and et cetera, et cetera. So I felt like I was in a fog and I was... I was just doing work I thought was interesting. And then I could kind of see, okay, maybe there's a thing out here. And then over time, as I kept doing things and trying things, I had some set of activities just started to fall out where it became very clear to me how I make a living as an artist and how I do it, not necessarily the way that some other artists will do I actually do it in ways that are um, certainly not unique, but it's a quite uncommon for the art world. Uh-huh. So most of what I do to make a living is I paint paintings from hand-painted paintings from editions. So I'll paint 25 of the same painting, which is easier because I use stencils. So the art is designing the stencil, then I execute it 25 times, and then I sell it on my website. Uh And so, and then I ship it directly to you. So I don't generally work with an art gallery. I do shows, but I now self-produce all my own shows. Uh So I'll sign, you know, last November I did a show, sorry, two years ago was the last time I did a show externally to my studio. I literally signed a lease, like, like found the realtor of a property, signed a seven-day lease, like came in, cleaned it, hung the lights, hung the show, did four openings in four days, packed it all out, and I was gone in seven days. Yeah. Right? And for me, the show is just like a party. It's not actually intended to be where the art is sold. It's more, hey, I did this work. You don't have to buy any of it. Come see it. But that's what's worked for me. I do, you know, I at the end of the year, I have like a spreadsheet where I kind of break down all the things that I sold in the year. And I make money painting murals. I make money doing private commissions. So if you want something that's not exactly what I offer on my website, I will do that for you at a higher price. It's much more high touch, generally much larger paintings. I do some design work for people. Um, I now have a new category of income, which is um, settlements for people that steal my work and then put it into advertisements. So I just tell my lawyer, like, hey, Go look, at someone stole my work again. And like, I don't want to endorse these people. You know, this happened to me yesterday. Someone was selling their hats and my, my art and signature, so we're selling hats, and my art and signature were the background on their big email blast. I'm like, cool. So, you know, I make a couple thousand bucks a year just doing that. Gosh. Just just point a lawyer at it and be like, okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not here to squash any mom and pop. Um, and usually people are reasonable. I just want, mostly I want an apology, but 
Mm-hmm. But anyway, sometimes yeah. it's really Everything sometimes it's really is. egregious, yeah, yeah. and sometimes they're really uh, nasty about it. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, yeah. I ha- I filed copyright with the U.S. government, and like you can you, you can go to the mat if you want to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mostly the majority of the income over fifty percent comes from direct to collector sales online, uh-huh. and that's that's what works for me, and I'm gonna uh, keep doing it. Yeah, that's great. Um, so back to the beginning. So I read you're from St. Louis, the Lou. Yes. You can call I'm, it that. That's fine. Yeah. I'm from a little town northeast of Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. From like a little, little town. Okay. But, um, so I know when you, when you say I'm from the um, suburbs of St. Louis, you I know what that picture, looks like. Yeah. And I know when you say, and I've, I've read that there was no graffiti or there's no street art, there was no much of art or, or at Not all. Not where I lived, at yeah, least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not where you lived. I understand all of that. Yeah. Um, so what did you, how did you start into the art world then? Yeah, so I... I think we, I mean, we all start off as artists and at some point you realize you're not very good at it compared to your, you're just, mar- sorry, you're marginally worse than some other four-year-old, uh-huh. right? And then you kind of can build this model in your brain that like, I'm not very artsy. Uh-huh. And then you just stop doing it. Uh-huh. And then that four-year-old wasn't, who's better wasn't actually that good anyway, but they get all this positive encouragement and then they end up being an artist later. Um, that like, I was kind of in the middle. I never felt like I was very good at art as a kid. Um, but I still was enthusiastic about it. And then when I was 14, I ended up getting involved um, with a video game, um, becoming an illustrator for it. They needed an artist. It was all volunteer run. And so I started to illustrate. And I was very bad at that. But the benefit of being 14 is that you have a huge amount of time on your hand, you know, just to be bad. And it turns out getting good is mostly doing things, being bad at it, and then eventually you get better at it. Um, and so over time I got to be more reasonable and then I kind of kept those skills up through college. I didn't use them very seriously in college, but I worked on posters and t-shirts and things. And then after graduation, I was not working as an artist. Um, and I ended up in a position where I felt kind of stifled in the work I was doing. And so I wanted some kind of an outlet. And so I realized that the, you know, I'd seen the work from Banksy, I'd seen Shepard Ferry, and I realized that the kind of illustration I'd been doing as a kid is actually could not be more perfectly suited for designing multi-layered stencils. Like yeah. I have, you know, at this, whatever, at this point, or 18 years of experience working in precisely the way that you can design. I mean, I'm not the, my way of doing it is not the only way to do it, but it was it's sort of like- most efficient. It, of what I'm, it just happens to work. Yeah. Um, and so I think part of what ha- has my work stand out a little bit against other people's work is that there are very few people my age or who end up in street art, you know, who have that experience in Adobe Illustrator, doing you know super oh, flat, yeah. multi-layered, with very few colors. Yeah. It was totally random um, yeah. how that ended up happening. So I was like, cool. I think I have something interesting to paint, and I'm just going to go paint it you know, on a sidewalk over here yeah. or on a mailbox over when there. When you do it on, on the street, are you using the stencils just yep. the same? Yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, it's faster yeah, yeah. Um, or more precarious, yeah. but it's... Spray like, paint, just like... All spray paint, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, most of stenciling is waiting for paint to dry. Yeah. Because the next stencil will rip up the paint, yeah. rip up wet paint. So there's a lot of patience. Hair dryer, yeah. Uh, battery-powered battery hair dryer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally inconspicuous. You can, you can bring a, a big gasoline generator and just like plug in, and yeah. no, nothing going on nothing here. To see here. Yeah. 
I mean, if you did it in like a high-vis vest, no one would question you. I know, it's true. One thing I learned over time is, you know, at this point, I'm mostly doing stuff on commission because they pay you for it and you do it in the sunlight. Yes. But at the end of my like, well, I still do some street art, but at the end of my like main push into it, I was just going out at noon in the public parks and painting because yeah. everyone just assumes you Belong what you're doing, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can do anything in this world with enough confidence. You're gonna uh-huh. show up and start painting on the sidewalk. Yeah. And like, I remember I was painting these these um. That's funny. These dog walkers in Tabos Park, and there was a school that was in recess when I was doing it. And so I started being like, okay, this is. It was a. Um, the city had painted these dog walker symbols to show where dogs should be on leash. And so they had like a bathroom sign man and a lumpy German shepherd. So my very first ever stencil was just painting out the German shepherd and sticking in a poodle. Just white, all white. Yeah. And over time, it evolved into being more complicated. So I did like a Keith Haring dog. And so I'm explaining like, here's the Harvey Milk Center. Here's Keith Haring. You know, kind of drawing some parallels there. And then, yeah. oh, here's a Jeff Koons dog I'm doing. And then here's Snoopy. And, and the kids, so they're following me around as I'm painting completely illegally, by the yeah. way. And then eventually they reach the bounds of their recess. Uh-huh. They can't well, let go any further. So they go back at the teacher. And, and then we all go even further in the park and I'm continuing my lecture. And at the end, they give me a standing ovation. Oh my god! And then I like, I take off, right? And everyone's like super happy and it's all very positive. And I'm like, cool, okay. Like I was just, you know, kind of just own it. And like the world will, the world will comply. If it's good, if you're like tagging your name, like, you know, someone's going to call the cops on you, yeah. right? But if it looks you've mentioned you've mentioned Banksy a few times. Yes, must be a peer of yours. I'm a cool, but peer, but yeah. uh, I mean uh, superior. You're a fan. Yeah. <laughs> so he had that art piece where it destructed after somebody purchased it. What was the purchase price for that? Uh, I think it was a million dollars. Yeah. And um, did you think that was cool? It was amazing. Yeah. It's worth way more after it becomes world famous than it is before it becomes world famous. It shred and just kind of stuck there, didn't it? It. It wasn't supposed to get... He claims it wasn't supposed to get stuck. I think the piece is even more compelling stuck. But if it had fallen all the way through, the final work would be an empty frame with a shredder built into it and a pile of canvas on the ground. Uh-huh. Like, that's modern art for you. you yeah. know. And again, a lot of the... One of the things that's bizarre about art is there's, the, there's a painting called the Rockefeller Rothko. Rothko was you know, an abstract artist. I guess I don't remember the exact decades, but whatever, 1900s. Um, and one of the Rockefellers owned a Rothko, and it's just worth more than the comparable Rothkos. Yeah. It's since been sold. It's because of who owned it. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things about art is like the provenance. Like yeah. Who, who has the owned collectors. that piece? What collections? So if it's been in a show in this museum, mm-hmm. if it's been in the possession of this owner, like if Madonna owns one like yeah. piece of your art at all, it's now worth more. But if she owned that particular piece, it's now worth even more. And so... That's kind of like the branding of the piece, right? So when you own the shredded Banksy, mm-hmm. everyone knows what you're talking about, right? And so that's just worth way more than, oh, it was a girl with balloon, which is a pretty common image that he does, in a super gilded, extremely heavy frame, right? And so like that's not nearly as compelling as the shredded Banksy. Yeah. So the owner is probably stoked, right? Oh, God, super stoked. Yeah. <gasps> First shock, then like you know, somebody gave him the minnow. They're like, someone tapped him and said, "No, you're stoked, dude." Yeah, exactly. Like, stoked. You, you just good. got an, like five hundred thousand dollars instantly. Yeah, like painting for sale. Anybody yeah, exactly. buy her? <laughs> hey, um, what role does Banksy play, or or any artist for that matter, in society? So th- this is a good question. And in my in my dark moments, you, know, you ask yourself like, is art important? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some answers for this. Um. And 
I'll, I'll touch on a couple of them. Banksy in particular has, and Shepard Ferry as well, have directed their art towards more political ends. And so you can say, okay, fine, you know, he's able to shine a light on the Syrian refugee crisis. He's able to shine a light on pollution, whatever it is. Um, money in politics for Shepard Ferry is very common. And that's great. Actually, if people will pay attention to this thing, they wouldn't pay attention to it otherwise. Um, I think that's fantastic. There is some, you know, obviously a lot of artists that aren't political, mm-hmm. right? Like Rothko wasn't trying to make some political statement. So one of the things that I think about is um, humans have the ability to do what's called intensity matching. So you could say, oh, this shade of yellow is as bright as this sound is loud, as this coffee is bitter. And there's no reason why we should be able to do that, right? And so in the same way I think of when you point your finger at the object and you think that it's beautiful, you say, okay, well, the love and care that went into this painting, the skill that went into that painting, whatever that it is, I can think about that being in my life and then I can apply that to whatever it is I'm working on, right? Mm -hmm. So I I find inspiration. The the thing I say where it's like something is so good, I get angry about it, Mm -hmm. right? I'm like, competitive about it like oh i wish i would have done that yeah it's almost like it's like a it's like it's so good that i want to do better work right Uh, i'm like damn you know um and that's you know again the anger is sort of like maybe jealousy or disappointment um right but it's also inspirational in a sense and then there's just kind of the soft inspiration that comes from it is you know the art sort of radiates happiness or positivity into your life in general Right, and so certainly with the honey bear, right? If you're having a bad day and you come home, nice and there's a honey bear pulling a glass of wine, staring at you, like the world is a little better yeah. in that moment. That's cool, man. What art do you identify with the most in terms of my work, or just yeah, well, what do you have in your fan? house? That's um, so love it. almost all the work that I buy is street artists around the world. Oh. Um, you know, a lot of them in the Bay Area. So I partly I have knowledge in that domain, mm-hmm. and so. What I find funny, actually, is the more I got into street art, the cheaper the work I was buying became. Mm-hmm. Because I don't just know about Banks and Shepard Ferry. I know about the kid on the street corner who's doing character graffiti, who you know might want to be an artist. And maybe I want to buy one of his paintings to kind of help angle him in a good direction. Or maybe I just have some appreciation for it because now I know the whole kind of um, domain that's uh-huh. possible in this field. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes I have pieces in my house that... T- that to me are like really cool. Like, oh, well, the toasters were like some of the original street artists. You know, they were like contemporaries of Banksy, you know, in England and Deface. And they, they, they haven't taken off as much. So like I can't afford those people, but I can afford mm-hmm. this thing. And it's cool for this historical reason or whatever. And people are like, oh, cool. I've never seen a you know, toaster painted on a canvas. Um, so, yeah, as far as my, like my work, I basically think of it as being like Warhol plus Banksy, sort of, sort of like the pop art. Um, imagery and sensibility combined with some of like the street That's art cool. stenciling like slightly nefarious techniques i also happen to really like all the color field people like frank stella oh yeah or yeah um i just like big i just like color yeah just like period color mm-hmm. so you know when you see like a painting from ellsworth kelly and it's just blue something about that that feels incredibly good to me mm-hmm. and so i'm not trying to do that but my work is trying to have very solid blocks of color. So you get a pure expression of red what or are, purple. What are some of the memorable responses you've, you've had from some of the people who've viewed your work or commissioned your work? What are some of the ones that stick out? Yeah, I, um, I have a good story about this, probably the most extreme in terms of me thinking I actually have a positive impact on the world. So I was in communication with a woman 
for a commission, um, either for the outside of her house, inside of her house. And she ends up having a seizure and goes into a coma. Um, she's going for 21 days. And her husband like picked up the thread on email with me in conversation, transferred over to his email, and then she recovered from the coma and was put on a rehab. I don't know how long she was in the hospital, many weeks. And so I basically timed a painting. She's a photographer. And so I did a honey bear with a camera and I did, I did bears to be themed after them too. And they have like a one-year-old daughter. So I did a bear, the representation of the daughter. It's just it had a big bow, a pink bow in its, in, in its hair. And so we basically timed it so that the painting would get installed in the house like right before she came back from the hospital. Uh-huh. And it was sort of, you know, she you know, had some pictures of my work up in the hospital room to kind of like stay positive about things because she photographs a lot of street art you know, during her recovery. And so even though, you know, I have nothing direct to do with this recovery, it was sort of uh, maybe like a point of sanity for the husband to be able to have to do to be able to do anything at all, right? Like the doctors are doing most of the work. I mean, he can be there to support and provide food and whatever, but just trying to get something positive mm-hmm. in it. And then she comes home and sees the painting and cries, you know, and now there's sort of like a commemoration of well, one, the house is enriched with beautiful artwork, but that it being kind of a happy ending, mm-hmm. trying to make something good out of something bad. And so to be involved in that was actually moving to me because because I sometimes feel like oh, I put the art out there and you know I'm just trying to make the happy happier, right? Not necessarily trying to like you know, whatever, get into the depths of things. Um, but I'd say beyond that, you know, because I do public art, I get a lot of people who talk to me about it. And it's mostly just people who just feel happier about their, their lives, right? They, mm-hmm. they, they see a mural, they, you know, either they like to spot them and they feel like it's a game they play with their kids or their spouse or whatever, um, or with themselves, right? They like tag them on Instagram, um, sort of just being a presence around the city that kind of feels like San Francisco, feels like home, feels a little bit happier, right? I'm trying to make people just a little bit happier, right? Like, yeah. I don't have these huge, I don't know, so like change the world. And yeah. You're going to clean up the ocean. Clean up the oceans, yeah. Yes. My, me and my boat and my honey bear, we're going to go clean up clean the, the oceans. oceans. <laughs> what is your dream project? Honey bear on a skyscraper. Really? Yeah. I mean, it can, this bigger is better at some level. Amazing. So the current largest one is 28 feet tall. Uh-huh. Um, but why not go taller? So then you have to what, print it out and use that paste, or you know, you got to get up there on on the window washers, yep. apparatuses, and like drop it down. I mean, geez, it could be a hundred feet wide. Yeah, I mean, sky's the limit. So the biggest mural I've painted is thirty-five wide and fifty tall. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to paint a mural if the weather permits next week. That's um, it's two towers, but the sum is fifty foot by fifty foot. So the first time I painted a really big wall mural. Halfway, I was really nervous. I was literally having midnight wake-ups. Mm-hmm. Be like, I've committed that I can do this. I've said I can. I've practiced on smaller scales. I have all the theory. But when you actually get up there, you know, 50 feet in the air on the suspended scaffold and start working, right? And like, uh, it's all stencil-based. So you have to trust the system, right? Uh-huh. Is it going to work? You know, about four days in, I'm like, we can go 100 feet. I was like, if this works, it doesn't matter anymore. I can do anything at any scale. Yeah. And so now I know that and I can just okay. more confidently get these projects. So it's still stenciled and you have like yes. what, by four foot by four foot stencils that you kind of uh, mathematically blown up and worked on, worked out and then that's it? Yeah, I'll give the, the quick description. So I got my technique from Shepard Ferry, he's an artist down in, he's most famous for the Hope poster for Obama. Uh, okay. um, and so I basically stalked all the videos online of him doing it. And then he came to San Francisco to paint. I had a couple of questions. So I just walked up to him. I was like, uh-huh. hey, I've got questions. 
and I got like the last bits. He was super, super gracious about uh -huh. it. So the technique is you print out your image onto paper. Um, I have a 36 inch wide printer. That's pretty common. Okay, yeah. So you print it in 35 inch wide sections because you, you need some margin oh. by about 54 inches long. And then you trim off all the white on the edges. Uh -huh. And so you basically like grid it out. So you've got however many sheets of paper, right? So I might spend $500 in printing fees alone uh -huh. just to print it out. And then you use spray adhesive to put the paper on the wall and then you cut out a shape um, and then you fill it with paint. And the, the paper has no rigidity, but the wall does. And so it provides the rigidity of the stencil. Mm -hmm. And the bit that I didn't understand that I had to ask Shep about is that you can then return that piece of paper that you've removed and then cut another shape that touches it. And you uh -huh. can remove and replace and remove and replace until everything in that sheet is done. Uh -huh. And you just work a couple pieces. I like to work a whole row at a time, like uh -huh. at the whole width of the wall, right. or maybe even like too tall. And you uh -huh. kind of just you know cut it and then you just put on the next one. And so there's some you know there's some asterisks in the corner where how to get from sheet to sheet, but that's the, the basic. Do you go of clean it. that up later, and or do you just because you can't see it because you're so far away? It's all it's it's already gridded, so it just as long as you. You trust the process, uh -huh. and as long as you have a level to make sure you're straight, yeah. Um, you know, usually I prefer to use like the roof or the wall, something that's like truly mm -hmm. level, as opposed to jumping right in the middle of the wall. Mm -hmm. um, it really is just like a trust the process kind of thing. Yeah. And I did this mural. The um, the 35 by 50 foot mural was done in St. Louis, and we did it. You know, it was seven 12 hour days in, I mean, 100 percent humidity oh, and 100 degree heat, and it was just it was rough, but it was just like. It's a really big wall. We're up there on a cherry picker, you know, 50 feet in the air. And just you just bump rock music and you just go sheet after sheet after sheet after sheet and can after can after can after can. And you just uh -huh. kind of just work your way down the wall. And, and it all worked out exactly like I planned it. Yeah. And it's one of those moments where like, you know, I've done it enough times. You know, it's, it's nerve wracking. Uh -huh. um, one of the problems with spray paint is that it can go places you don't want it to go. Yeah. So you really need to keep. You know, keep everything running and you can't you can't fail like oftentimes failures are catastrophic and so you just you know just just go and then it works um because that sounds pretty super what do you think what would, you, what would your superpower be if you could have one if i could have one not that you don't have one but yes what would your second superpower be flying flying i want to fly yeah. It's really the best superpower. Uh, I mean, it's not the best superpower. There's other good ones. Um, it would we be could just fly up and do all the stencils. You wouldn't need yes. the boom anymore. Don't You're need the like... lift anymore. It's thousands <laughs> it's like of dollars a year. Great for commerce and great for your projects. Sticks. It's also like <laughs> flying commercial is overrated. So if you could just yeah. Superman from here or to Or private Tahoe. even like, oh, small, oh. you know. Yeah. I can just, you know, pew. Um, that would be swell. Also, um, no more traffic. Oh, man. Drones. Maybe yeah, exactly. Drones, but me. Um, okay, professionally, um, I guess you said that like, your your goal here is to do something that is a skyscraper. Yes, honey bear skyscraper. Honey bear if anyone skyscraper. listening has a skyscraper that ha that wants a honey bear, Mark Benioff listens all the time. Yes, a big one downtown. I've just seen it. They got, he's into art. They got art at the top. Well, one of the challenges with skyscrapers is a lot of them, like Salesforce Tower, are all glass. So there are a lot of buildings that are older that have one wall that is completely oh, beige. Right, so there's some wonderful. There's a lot of street art in the former Soviet Union because there are a lot of those walls, right? Mm. Just big, flat concrete. Like they're the ugliest wall, but the yeah. best for painting. And it's like so, we got to do something to spice this spice up, up, comrade. Yeah. Yes, you know, that's what they say to themselves. Exactly. Um, well, Finch, what would you like? Um, there's one more question after this question. What would you like people to know about you that you would that you want to tell? 
I don't know if I have anything in particular. Don't mind me. I mean, I'm a real person. I'm just out here trying to do good work. Um, if you like it, thank you. If you don't, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and then tell me then, what is... Um, okay, so, you know, my daily work mm-hmm. and all this. I mean, I appreciate what, you, what you're doing. I love the happiness that you, you kind of provide. I like the pop poppiness of it you're, you're, you talk about. And, yeah, it makes me smile. Good. They make me smile. And... And I do love them. Um, no, what we do every day is trying to make you know homes feel a certain way. Uh, we're trying to amplify people's lives when they mm-hmm. come home at, at night, and that could be they either need to be soothed and calmed down, or they may have a dreadfully boring life at work, and they need to be amplified and feel excited when they come home. So we're just trying to make a mood, mm-hmm. make a feeling. And so with that, I always like to ask this question. What is the fav- What is your favorite room in your your home, mm-hmm. and then why? Yeah, so my favorite room is my bathroom, uh-huh. and my house was almost entirely destroyed in a fire, and so I had the unfortunate but privilege of completely remodeling it, uh-huh. and I just thought we did a really good job on it. So my architect found a reasonably priced stone that we could put on the ground and the walls. And so there's just like a seamless entrance into the shower and it also goes up behind the sinks and it's on the ground. And I like natural materials. I'd rather have something be wood or stone than Uh plastic if Uh I can Um, or metal. It's also kind of natural in the middle, let's say. Uh So I just think that like I just did, you know, I never remodeled. I was sort of an unwilling remodeler. A lot of people, they, they think about it for a long time and they have visions and they plan or whatever. It was sort of like, okay, well, my place is completely unlivable and I could build it back how it was, but it was built in the 1800s. And so that's not very useful for modern society. So I guess I'm going to remodel. And so I had no um, prior experience or I had no planning. And so I was just happy that it turned out so well. And every time I go in there, you know, I've got the his and her sinks and everything kind of got laid out nicely. And so it just makes me happy that I managed to do like, or I didn't do it. I mean, I was collaborating on a project that had an outcome that I really liked. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, thank you so much for coming and bringing some artistic spirit here to our studio. I know this is going to be a, a fun um, listen for so many people, and I'm very grateful. So, thank you for having me. Yeah, rock on. 